You're better than that, Charles. I, I am. I am. Thank you. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 305. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I'm joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And the second and only Marco Sanchez. I can roll with that. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I'm first. I'm first. Well, yes. <laughs> you did get here first. <laughs> yeah. All right. So in this very special episode of JudgeCast, um, we are going to be talking about uh, Flesh and Blood. It's a relatively new game that's become pretty popular since the pandemic, and it seems to be gaining support. Have you guys... Uh, uh, been to any like any of the magic cons or not magic cons but the uh the scg cons where flesh and blood's going on i have i have yes yeah and there have been many events that seem to be drawing a lot of players interest and we've noticed that a lot of magic judges have kind of started uh double dipping into into flesh and blood they may be maybe looking over over yonder and seeing Something that they can get in on the ground floor of. So? Made sense that we would uh, bring somebody on to talk about it. And and help us understand what the big to-do is about Flesh and Blood. And for that, we have a special guest tonight. Special guest, would you mind introducing yourself and, and telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Um, my name is Nicola Piqueo. Uh You all may call me Nick. Um, I am a level two flesh and blood judge from the Washington DC area. Um, I've been involved with flesh and blood as uh, early as 2021, uh, right before its uh, third set, which was called Monarch. So that um, makes you an old timer, then, right? In flesh and blood. Uh, in yeah, in... I guess in flesh and blood uh, judging years, yes, that is correct. I was actually one of, um, along with a lot of um, magic judges. Um, uh, one of the first batch of L2s to ever kind of ascend to that um, level. So Awesome. Uh, yep. Um, so I started actually the same year I ascended to L2. It was the same year um, I really started my journey in Flesh and Blood. Um, and then uh, it's, been a, it's been a great um, ride ever since. So, uh, but... My day-to-day, I'm also a project lead for a financial institution, so a lot of the stuff that I uh, kind of implement in my day-to-day life, I, it really helps me uh, kind of mosey around the program and kind of keep things um, on the straight and narrow. So within the uh, – before we, before we get into like what, what Flesh and Blood is, is what is your – within the – air quotes judge program for flesh and blood what is your role or your subject matter of expertise sure uh good question uh so i like to think that i um am pretty decent at the rules so within the flesh and blood judge program i'm actually the rules team lead um and uh, we'll talk more about the rules groups later but um essentially um the judge program has a lot of community-based uh, project groups uh, where folks can volunteer their time. Uh, those groups also have team leads associated in them. So any work streams um, that we have, we work um, will be kind of managed by a team lead. And for me, I'm the rules team lead. 
Um, I also am part of the advanced certification team that's headed by uh, that's headed by Ward Warren. I'm part of the exam team, so I write a lot of the uh, uh, rules-based questions or review a lot of them. And that's headed by Joe Cavanaugh. Um, and there's a lot of uh, uh, other teams. I'm part of one of the Discord moderators. Um, so I've really kind of um, made my way around the community. Um, but aside from that, um, I guess I have judged a few. Um, it was a fab lead for some of the SEG cons throughout 2022 and 2023. Um, had, uh, it was the appeals judge for uh, under Dan Collins for as recent as US Nationals. So kind of my journey has been really a fantastic um, a grouping of uh, great opportunities and great uh, experience and education from all those involved. Sounds like you got your hands in a lot of pots, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 kind of refreshing to hear somebody talk enthusiastically about the projects and stuff that they're involved in. On, yeah, a, it a, a brings back side. some nostalgia, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yes. Okay, so can you tell us, obviously, since we're a Magic Judge podcast, our listeners are presumably very familiar with Magic the Gathering. However, they might not be familiar with Flesh and Blood as a card game. Can you kind of describe what it is and how, how it maybe differs from Magic? Yeah, sure. So... Um, the best way I can describe Flesh and Blood, and let's start about its history, right? It's a trading card game out of New Zealand um, that was uh, published, that began start, uh, its publishing around five years ago, I think. Uh, it's coming up on, technically on its five-year anniversary. We're headed towards the end of its year. Uh, and into the five years, sorry. In anniversary. And it really... The intent of the design um, was really to kind of blend um, the allure of in-paper playing of the tr of a trading card game, kind of like that tactile feel, the collectability, the stunning art, and and the strategic depth from kind of like having a wide card pool and really infusing characteristics and familiar characteristics of fighting games uh, that you may um, be kind of um, uh, reminisce about from time to time when you play like a Street Fighter or Soul Calibur, Tekken, kind of that kind of uh, feel to it. And in a sense... Did they actually name Flesh and Blood because of that uh, focus on a paper-only game? Um, I so, heard that rumor somewhere. Yeah, well, it's... I, I'm not gonna. I don't know the exact history behind it, but I know that James White and the Legend Story Studios, which is the publisher of uh, Flesh and Blood, ha really has in their mission those three words. It's really to bring people together into Flesh and Blood through the common language of playing great games, and that's really kind of like their mission statement to kind of bring that. Um, that field because i think there is a it's been documented been asked a couple of times of james white about uh really why flesh and blood is really just paper only and why is there this emphasis and if he looks back on his time he'll tell you that uh, he'll reminisce some of his best stories are playing flesh playing paper 
games in person, making those connections, making lifelong friends, traveling the world, being able to see different destinations. And I think that kind of resonates with a lot of us um, because we get into games because we go to our local game store and are able to kind of sit down and play with somebody that you don't know. And that person that you don't know may end up being a friend, a great friend, a person, a confidant, someone that you can um, hang out with even outside of the local game store. Awesome. So going on to about like Flesh and Blood and kind of how it really plays, think about it as two gladiators in an arena being able to kind of duel it out in, to the death, right? The object is to get the other opponent down to zero life. Your heroes have specific talents and classes, which informs a lot of deck building decisions. Very similar to how Magic, the Gathering has the, the color wheel, the, uh, the decisions for your deck and your selections are based upon kind of what classes you may choose so for example there's a warrior or a ninja or kind of a rune blade which is what we would expect a, a a fighting sorcerer to type to be there are wizards there are brutes there are guardians and these are all have different flavors to kind of their um card pools um and it really kind of is unique in that uh, sense in terms of deck building the field because then uh you're really trying to beat the other person based on kind of skills and makes it really feel like you're playing to me at least soul caliber right i'm a huge soul caliber fan and it kind of lets me really try to beat someone in paper as if i was playing a fighting game but it does have some differences with magic the gathering um, mm -hmm. in terms of of its game design in general um, turns are completely different. For example, in Magic the Gathering, you and you all, please correct me, in because uh, uh, because <laughs> I'm not a Magic judge. Everyone just want to let everyone out here know that I should have probably prefaced that, but I'm not a Magic judge. But I have played Magic. Uh, what? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Podcast over. No, no, no I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> check please. <laughs> But I, I will say that uh, the turns are completely different, right? Magic has uh, untap, upkeep, draw, main, combat, another main, and then your end phase, right? Um, Fab, in a way, has um, kind of shortened the phases of a turn to just three, being the start, action, and end. But there's a lot to unpack in those just three phases, and it doesn't kind of stifle any creativity in doing so either. Um, the win conditions are a little bit different. Magic the Gathering, you have kind of like reducing, you know, you still have the same same concept. You're you're playing, uh, I think, 20 life, right? And then mm -hmm. you reduce it yep. down to zero. There's the ability to mill out your opponent, right? If they cannot draw from their library, uh, they've lost the game. Is that right? Mm -hmm. and, and then mm -hmm. you have a bevy of alternate win conditions, poison counters, etc., that have really developed over time as the card pool has grown, right? For Flesh and Blood, we it's similar in the fact that we do have a condition to reduce to the opponent down to zero life, but there is actually no concept of mill in Flesh and Blood, and that's kind of the um, kind of a. Uh, a key alluring aspect of uh, of the game is, is it, that is it that you have like the recycling deck, like 
like, yeah. your discard pile becomes the your deck again goes back into your deck yeah yeah so it's yeah it's not necessarily the discard pile right um the, you still have a graveyard like in magic like all the cards that you've used or discarded or have gone over to the nether realm that never to be touched again unless you dredge or do something that allows you to play cards out of the discard you have the banish zone this is very similar to banishing inside of magic it's separate from the graveyard but there's this also unique pitch zone which we call it where we uh, and this segues into kind of the next topic of why the game design is so unique from magic is um it's the concept of the multifunctional card so the pitch zone represents uh kind of cards that are being used for resources so cards out of your hand um, can be paid using cards from your hand as well so for example in magic you have lands right um mm -hmm. you have a you know you have lands creatures enchantments instants source sorceries planeswalkers right and mm -hmm. um they're all e unique and different because of their type right in flesh and blood you have heroes attack actions equipments weapons instants reactions which all come with their own unique type here but if you think about magic right it has lands which are your kind of resource generators right you may have like a lanowar elf every now and then that will genuate you a, a green mana or a birds of paradise i'm really aging myself here um but <laughs> that will generate resources for you but in flesh and blood it's unique in the sense that if you take a look at a paper card it should be able to do more than just one thing. And in Flesh and Blood, it will be able to be used to resources. So we call it pitching for resources, where it generates resources to pay for other cards and activated abilities. It can block for you, typically. So every card should be able to contribute to defending your health against uh, an attack from the opponent in some way. And at its most basic structure, it should be able to be played as an attack. So you can try and whittle down your opponent towards your goal of getting them down to zero life so it's this multifunctional card that you see i think the closest and closest thing i can think of in magic at least um from from my days when i played it at one point are kind of like the creature lands right you have the fairy conclaves the treetop villages right they are both a creature and a land themselves so well, like so those are kind of the um kind of like the the parallelism here i want to Go, so when go you with. use an attack action, though, it, or when you put a creature down as an attack, that's only like a one-turn thing, right? That's correct. So the, the okay. difference in that respect, and I'll, um, I'll kind of touch on it here, is that um, your the concept of creating a board state, right? Um, I I can magic to kind of chess, right? You're marshalling out an army, you're positioning them out to succeed, you're using your creatures as ways to position that and, and, um, and kind of gain board advantages that will allow you to have a long-term uh, strategy or a long-term um, value in your win um, over time. Um, when I look at um, Flesh and Blood, uh, the, it, the concept of 
like generating a board state is different in my in my opinion there is no it's kind of apples and oranges in this case it's two different games so to speak because the kind of um board state or the game advantage that you're trying to generate is to generate a, a sense of momentum with your attacks right be able to present when you are when you an attack and make the opponent decide the value of the cards in their hand whether or not they want to waste those cards and trying to pro protect your protect their life so that they have a chance to swing back at you or regain tempo and regain momentum or will they just uh take the hit and then you know do something what we call a pivot where like oh yeah i'll take all the damage you know but you know i'm just gonna hit you back harder um, kind of like the old, um, uh, if you've ever seen Rocky, uh, the I guess the Rocky movies from the like the 2000, the one where he has his son. It's like one the the coach tells him, the trainer tells him, like we're gonna take those hits, but we're gonna hit back harder. That's kind of like the kind of uh, sense that you may get, uh, and in terms of strategy, that it could be a valid strategy as well. Well, instead of Fab. Um, decking out and milling out is actually, like I kind of prefaced earlier, is just, you do not see that in, in Fab. Instead, you see a kind of a version of that because when we recycle cards, uh, i.e. when we pitch a card to play a card or to activate an ability to pay the, its costs, at the end of your turn, you're basically putting that pitched card on the bottom of your deck. So over, it's not uncommon in any game of flesh and blood to be able to see that card later in the in the game because every turn you're like drawing up to your hand size that's written on your hero card and you're making additional choices you're trying to push kind of the tempo of the game you're going to be playing cards pitching uh, more cards to play those cards and over time you may cycle through a deck once or twice in some defensive setups and really gives you the ability to strategize long term because theoretically what what you can do is order the bottom of your deck you will be able to know what is on the what's coming up because you've carefully crafted your next turns over time in doing that hmm. that's really yeah. interesting yeah and then combat is different, right? So, and it's different if you Magic the Gathering has one dedicated combat phase. And in, in Fab, you don't have a dedicated combat phase. Everything happens in the action phase. So theoretically, you can like weave in and out of combat as necessary. Uh, really, as long as you have the action points uh, and the resource points uh, to do so, both of them are required resources for um, to be able to operate inside of a turn of Fab. Um, as long as you got those, you can, I can hit you, then ready up maybe play something like a combat trick or a setup that allows my next hit and attack to be uh, stronger and then go back into combat and do that um there are some advantages and disadvantages in terms of effects that may look at or dissuade you from doing those even out of combat kind of strategies but for the most part the world is your oyster. It is your turn. You can do whatever you want inside of that action phase. The last thing that I'd probably say is that there's no mulligan inside of 
uh, flesh and blood, right? Um, and the reason for this is you're already drawing through um, the uh, at the end of every turn uh, your hand size. So you know, so if you even the end of every turn. Uh, at the end of your at the end of your turn, sorry. So at the end of the first turn, both mm. players will draw back up to their hand size. It's a very unique thing for the game. So like if I'm going first, right? In Flesh and Blood, uh, there's this there's no sense of oh my gosh, uh, summoning sickness. Is that what you all call it in yeah. Yeah. Magic, yep. right? Yep. Right. So um, there's no semblance of summoning sickness. So if I have an attack in my hand, I'm gonna I can play it and do damage that turn, right? Because there's no creatures, um, generally, right? There are some classes that have creatures and they don't have summoning sickness, but it's kind of hard to activate them on their first turns. But for the general portion of 75% of fab, um, I will say that there is um, I have a an attack my opponent can defend with those cards and it's on the very first turn of the game definitely can do that so what we're going to do both players will draw up to their hand size and it gives them the ability um to kind of shape their second turn a little bit better because maybe their first turn is like oh i don't like these cards in my hand do i have something that i can do to potentially improve my hand quality or card quality at the beginning of the game and just playing cards is just normally the way and then drawing up to the hand size means that there's really no disadvantage uh of doing that uh but really in terms of the no mulligan right it's also balanced by the fact that the game design starts you off with equipments and weapons on your field so is essentially i guess permanence and magic right they are a specific mm -hmm. type of permanent and magic you will always start the game with and the concept is you'll always crafted right you always will have something an option to do something the ability to do something on the first turn of the game you're never out of the first turn of the game because you have things that you can potentially do with your equipments and weapons that's pretty amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I go and I hold a one-lander, and uh, no, no, I don't ever hold a one-lander. <laughs> Always mulligan. Always mulligan. Um, yeah, but you're no, better that's, than that, Charles. I, I am. I am. Thank you. Uh, but that's kind of cool how the resource management works in in favor of the player in such a way. I, I actually played my first uh, game of Lurkana the other the other night, and it's similar. So that's cool. Okay. So that's a lot about how the game itself is is uh, set up. But what does the organized play program look like? Sure. Uh, so the flesh and blood organized play program is a four is can be broken up into a four tier system. Uh, really, it goes from tier one to tier four. The Tier ones are like your casual events, your weekly armory ar armory nights. I think the equivalent is uh, Friday Night Magic. I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And then you have a little bit higher in terms of uh, accessibility with what we call skirmishes um, that allow a little bit more competitive play um, at the casual uh, level. And then we also have pre-releases that actually kind of fit into that. Uh, tier two is really where your competitive events start. These are kind of like your road to nationals and your pro quests. So these would be your qualifying events for your higher level 
competitive play um, and you'll see these at this level tier three are also um, competitive events but they're and they're in a higher team because they're likely to draw in larger number of participants um, for example nationals that just happened in las vegas about a, uh, a month ago these um, were tier three events um, callings which i believe the equivalent to are like grand prix in magic um okay. they offer monetary uh winnings and money and prizes that are of higher value um and thus drawing in a larger crowd of players and competitors wanting to is, get is that what the scg cons run or callings uh, yeah, so SEG has run everything from, I guess, normally um, they will run a Battle Hardened as part of their um, their weekends. They may have, uh, on some special months, the, the Calling, which will have um, that level of participation from the community. And yeah, I guess those would be GPs. I guess the next okay. one is technically Calling Dallas, which is going to happen in a couple weeks. Uh, and so that's the approximately equivalent. how big are those events? So um, those can get up to how what I've seen anywhere between like the 600 to 1000 player mark. Um, but it's also you have other form other players playing inside events those weekends. It's, they really make a weekend out of it. So you'll have side events, you'll have, um, you know, a battle hardened that is attached to it, which is kind of like a a, a it can get as big as a calling, but the pricing may not be as lucrative as winning a calling. Callings are two-day okay. affairs, typically. Can can so, I just say how cool these names are? Callings yeah. and battle hardened and everything else. I mean, it's it's very it's it, it's very evocative of nineteen eighties bad fantasy movies. You know, the quickening or something else. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just. <laughs> It's just very, you know, I, I see it. You know what I mean? Like Grand yeah. Prix Pro Tour. I see that too. But but something like this, it's, it's I don't know. It's just, I think it's just really cool. The first time I heard that it was called a calling, I was like, that's something I have to find out a little bit more about. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty cool too. I, I, I To be very fair, uh, I could tell that you're a Highlander fan as well. I certainly equated a calling to a quickening, like when I when I was first getting in. That's actually pretty funny that you say that. <laughs> so, and then the tier four is really your highest form of competitive play. Uh, these are your pro tours and your world championships. As of right now, we've had, I want to say three pro tours uh we're going into potentially uh we're going to a season that will qualify players for their fourth one so i think we've had pro tours in new jersey and then lille france and oh. then now we're we had as recently in our in my backyard in pro tour baltimore and i the destination for the pro tour the fourth pro tour is to be determined or to be announced rather but the world championships we had the very first one in san jose last year uh and then uh, the next one um is coming up in barcelona so that's in right. november so it it sounds like okay you have you have something akin to F and M's and game days and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You have a tier two play 
which are equivalent to our Pro Tour qualifiers or our national qualifiers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, tier three, which is it says here that they can be open entry or invite only. So these are like the Grand Prix. Um, and then you have Pro Tour. So this is very much the organized play structure that Magic used to have when investments were being made in organized play. So if you liked the 2008 to 2014 era of Magic organized play, this seems very similar to that. I was going to say, this seems... I can absolutely see why so many Magic judges have chosen to double dip into this organized play system, because it seems very nostalgic and very much like the same kind of system that we all kind of fell in love with, at least us who've been around yeah. for a little while, when we could see these kind of events. Yeah. I, I, think I, it, I long I, for a Grand Prix. <laughs> I think, it's, the I think structure, it, it's the structure that we enjoyed. I, I think it yeah. goes beyond that. I, it shows um, almost the gambling nature of the, of the organized play team for Flesh and Blood because they started this up mid-2020, end of 2020, they were running events and nobody else was, you know, they bet on yeah. the players. They bet on, on people wanting to get together and play. And, and in some ways they were, they were right because I, I saw nothing but well-attended events every time it was published. So, all right. So, so that's similar. The, the tier structure seems very, very similar to, to the golden era of magic OP. What about, like from a policy perspective or a rules enforcement level. Yeah. So in terms of kind of organized play and rule enforcement levels, there are three of them, um, casual, competitive, and professional. Um, as you, oh. as you scale, um, uh, from, from casual, uh, to competitive professional, the, the types of infractions that, um, or the the penalties and uh, fixes for infractions that you may encounter encounter kind of scale up depending on um, kind of what you're trying to accomplish. Casual rules enforcement levels is really designed for local in-store play. It's a low barrier of entry, but the emphasis is really in terms of policy, in terms of kind of fixing things, trying is really focused on education and the enjoyment of players rather than kind of strict equity and the integrity of the game, right? Um, the but that's not to say that does that doesn't change as you rise through the different RELs. That that's certainly the case because now we switch when we go into competitive and even into the pro- professional, the the balance because becomes maybe less on the education portion, but more on the uh, balance of that against competitive equity. Uh, so it is um, really kind of, um, it's noted in policy in terms of really trying to educate judges and those who read, for example, our procedure and penalty guidelines document that I think is a equatable or equivalent to the uh, IPG in Magic, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that it provides readers kind of like the intent of why we do things the way that they are, educating folks versus kind of uh, bringing back or providing as much of a uh, state neutral or equity uh, efficient uh, 
game state to both players. So when when you say professional rules enforcement level, specifically mm-hmm. what kind of events run professional rules enforcement level? Is it like the the second part of a of a pro uh, of um the like the GP style events, the yeah. callings, or is it or is it just for pro tours and for world championships? So pro tours and world champions without a uh, world championships without a doubt have a professional level. Sure. Uh, the the Grand Prix equivalents, what we call the callings, uh, their day twos. It's a two. It's always a two day event. Their day twos are going to be at the professional professional level because uh, the barrier to entry for that is higher because you have to make the cut for day two. So and, it's and now we're and now we're talking about real prizes too. Where I mean, not not that the other prizes aren't, but you're, we're talking about significant prizing. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Because there, you know, in some cases, the pricing might go, you know, is money down to a certain place. And it does involve and it kind of matters. Positioning matters. So now we have to take extra care in terms of the way that we are monitoring our players. Um, We are kind of adjudicating and arbitrating the, um, you know, when there's a dispute that arises from a game uh, we have to start applying differences in policy at uh between the competitive ariel and the professional ariel so this is this is sounding okay the tiers of events the rules enforcement levels all sound like things that magic judges are familiar with mm-hmm. um i do recall uh, I want to say about two years ago, there was a large flesh and blood event in Tampa uh, for which Matt Williams, uh, Billy Willie, was one of the head judges for. Mm-hmm. And I remember that at the time, there was a request for magic judges to apply for that event. And there was a lot of, we don't necessarily know the rules for flesh and blood. And the response, at least that I heard, was, that's okay. We'll have people there that know the rules. What we need is a lot of people who know how to run events. Mm-hmm. And so in that regard, there were a lot of skills, or there was the perception that there was a lot of skills that that MTG judges have that could port over into a flesh and blood event. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about some of those potential similarities. Sure, um, you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this with I have never judged an MTG event, you know, but I I have gotten a very good sense that really the portable skills that are very extremely similar between running events for Flesh and Blood and running events in Magic: The Gathering is really the event management aspect. The, if you view, in general, you know, stepping back from even MPG and uh, Fab for a second, right? If you view judging as an industry, and TCCG events are really just different companies within this said industry, your portable skills that you've learned as a judge will translate in some way or some fashion, um, and can be leveraged in within different games. So, for example, you know, best practices on how to take uh, a call at a table. 
uh, best practices for investigations and understanding kind of what you are missing and uh, what you need to understand efficiently to make the best ruling you can and the most equitable ruling at the table. Um, how to assess, assess infractions, right? I think John Bryan always puts it really clear when he is talking to and mentoring other folks where it's like you want to evaluate what the infraction is, the penalty and the fix. That hasn't changed at all. How to integrate, examine, and weigh verbal communications and nonverbal communication aspect uh, artifacts, right? You may have someone who may speak a different language and you are kind of trying to determine and resolve a dispute between the players and you kind of need to assess what you what they have done just based on maybe pointing maybe nodding you know you need to make assessments and what you believe about that uh how to perform a deck check this is standard uh i think in my opinion across really uh, a skill that really translates to all tcgs problem solving thinking beyond just the event amanda coots always tells everyone uh, who she mentors kind of think just beyond uh, what is in the present, but think about what the event needs, right? What do we make sure happens in the event? How to run EOR, how to get those, uh, you know, end of round, how to get those tables sat on by judges so that our turnover times are uh, smaller. And that all speaks to really how to run an event. And really, you know, people will have always be contributing to uh, sides, right? I believe side events are the, one mm -hmm. of the best money makers. You need to be able to yep. single-handedly be able to run a side event, push it to the end, and then move on to the next side event, or multi multitask and manage two or three other side events at the same time. Yeah, and I think there's something really important to highlight here on not just what you were just talking about, but also something you mentioned earlier, which is just that a lot of the skills that come with judging in general, whether it's magic judging, flesh and blood judging, really any uh, kind of competitive gaming judging has a lot of really marketable skills, things like logistics management and thought processing, and like even things like skills on how to get to the reality of an unclear situation when you're doing investigations with players. And, you know, the longer you do any kind of competitive level judging, the more you start seeing how much these skills really translate, not just to competitive gaming events, but to the real world and even just any other kind of industry or profession. I mean, working in different retail aspects that I've had in the past, it was really nice to have some investigative background when somebody was coming up to me and trying to defraud the store that I was working in. And like, that's a lot of things that people may not think about how much that really can take or how far that really can take you once you really master some of these skills. Yeah. And uh, again, talking about that uh, event in Tampa that uh, Matt was uh, head judge for, um, there was a situation afterwards where we were just talking and I was like, Hey, how'd it go? And he's like, oh, good. And he tells me, he gives me a, probably a literal 90 second primer on the rules. You know, where you have like your general or commander or your champion or whatever and, and how and how you draw cards. And then he starts describing a judge call to me. And I was immediately like, oh, so he's cheating. <laughs> and and the response was, well, that's what we were thinking, too. And I was like, OK. And it was just one of these things where just a a 90 second description of the rules 
and listening to a scenario, it became, oh, okay, well, the concern here is cheating because we because this is the advantage that we believe that this person would have gained in this particular scenario. So these are the type of questions that you want to ask. And to illustrate, we, we've said on this podcast multiple times that the rules are actually among the easier parts of the game to learn. It's the mm-hmm. how to take a call, how to interact with players, how to do the customer service stuff. And those skills, those harder skills, are extremely portable. And if so if you're interested in moving from magic to flesh and blood, you have a lot of skills already geared towards judging this game just because gamers gonna game, card games are card <laughs> games. <laughs> Yeah, they have they have an infraction procedure guide like yeah Yeah. And and that's the funny (laughs) thing, too, is because I I sat down one day and I have uh, the some experience of my time with Flesh and Blood is watching a video earlier today, learning how the game works mechanically um, because I have not played it yet. But I I remember, I don't know, six months, maybe a year ago, um, somebody published uh, the up to date infraction procedure guide, whatever, whatever Flesh and Blood calls it. Uh, and I sat there for a few minutes and I started reading through it just, just to see how it compared. Magic judges, if you want to judge flesh and blood, it's not going to take much because mm-hmm. it's amazingly similar. You know, they still have infractions for um, things that whether or not it's an exact one-to-one, it's it's very, very, very similar. So my question then is, is in what way is judging for fab different from judging for for magic there as you would imagine there are quite a few differences one is really the game itself right that's a no-brainer right but coming the 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 game itself um has similar concepts but are just uh ruled differently um so for example triggered effects right so if you have i guess in magic to my understanding and please correct me if i'm wrong if i have like when this creature attacks comma if you have for example played an instant this turn comma do this intervening ifs yeah Yeah. so the intervening ifs right so in my my knowledge yeah to my knowledge intervening ifs in magic exists where that particular trigger event won't be added onto the stack if you haven't met that if right is that so, correct so since you understand what intervening if clauses are do you want to take the l1 test yeah <laughs> yeah we can print one up well we can't print one up anymore but you're, we can you're already like i don't know the game so well but i can explain what an intervening if trigger is <laughs> well that, uh, that that came up it actually in um when we first seeing the first presence of it quote unquote intervening ifs or potential intervening ifs inside of flesh and blood it was a very long discussion among the community because they're like oh we come from magic like this is how it's resolved but in fact in flesh and blood the if condition actually doesn't resolve doesn't get evaluated until you at, like when it comes off the stack so you will still put the triggered effect onto the stack and then you will evaluate whether or not you met the if condition when it's time to resolve it when both players pass priority on it and you uh you know have you met the if condition yeah okay cool you get the effect love it 
Yeah. Hmm. Um, there's replacement effect differences. I think Dan Collins once told me this. We were at like um, SCG Con Pittsburgh last year, and he took a call from Magic. He was my fab lead, but I had to take a call from Magic, and I couldn't take the call because I don't know anything about Magic. Uh, but there's apparently a, a, a difference in terms of replacement effects. Uh, the as I think the owner of the object inside of magic, right? The owner of the mm -hmm. object where the replacement effect is being, would be applied to, or would would impact decides. Yeah. The person like, who's impacted gets to decide. Can we, yes. can we just skip the level one test and just jump to the level yeah, two actually, test? I was going <laughs> to say the serious, same thing. Seriously. Explaining, intervening, is talking about the interaction of replacement effects. I love it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's different, because inside of FAB, um, it's really um, the the turn player decides, selects a player, and that player will add, will resolve, in you know, without going into too much detail, resolve their replacement effects first before uh, the other one does. So that's the difference. Um, Policy-wise, um, there's a lot of similarities, um, even with that uh, with that great story with Billy Willie in Tampa, and you all be able to communicate the same language, right? Um, that is a, kind of a very good example of kind of the portable skills that you can, you know, in terms of the transition to policy, uh, in terms of policy, is a little bit smoother for magic folks. But there are some um, differences, right? Um, in fact, okay, so I guess in magic you have the a caution, a warning, and then you go into match loss, game loss, game loss, mm -hmm. mass loss, right? Match yep. loss. Um, yep. And then obviously disqualification. Um, so in fab there's uh there's really no uh game well a game loss is really a match loss really because it's a best of, it's a best of one right it's a best of one that is correct um mm. and the other one is in between in terms of levels of uh penalties that you can levy against a player in between so you have caution you have warning and then right before you get to game loss, there's a penalty called IP2. IP stands for intellect penalty, and the two denotes kind of the number of turns that you're you're going to have that penalty for. And what that is, is basically um, you are lowering the hand size of, uh, um, of, the, of the player by one for the duration of two turns. Oh, you well, draw a new hand each oh, turn wow. that is correct and really it's um you know you you see them applied as tardiness penalties uh you see these penalties applied as a way to you know if you can't fix a grv for example if you can't partial fix if it, you can't rewind at all you're gonna have to leave the game state as is but you know if you feel like the the amount of advantage that the infracting player has received uh, is so much it's a significant advantage then uh, you have the ability to kind of levy an ip2 to help balance the the advantage gained. Um, I, I, I'm not know, one for sports references, but this is this is like hockey. Yeah, you know, yeah, very much. Yeah. You. You, know, you you did slashing. You sit in the box for a few minutes, friend, and there's an advantage for the one team for a period of time. Um, 
you know, you have fewer resources at hand. Interesting. Yep. Yep. That's right. Um, I will say like the philosophical underpinnings as it relates to Fab's mission of great, great games, equity and education, like that triangle, um, it differs from game to game, but really when you're thinking about a judging paradigm in general and what kind of judge you want to be or kind of how you're evaluating situations or educating players in certain situations, that's definitely a difference. I, I, I don't know if I can necessarily qualified differences against what you all have in the magic judge program but i would say like you know if you go to pokemon or you go to uh Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, or even grand archive or lorcana like they have their own kind of um idea of what uh judging and what really entails in that is really supposed to be um best of one uh, we just mentioned that, right? It, it's a match loss is essentially a game loss and a best one, best of one game. Uh, but that also means there's no mid round deck checks, right? So you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not going uh, to, uh, you're not waiting for a game one of, uh, you know, of a of a game to finish. So how long are your rounds? Through. If it's best of one, how long are your rounds? Sure. So uh, it depends on the format. Right, so okay. the format there are, um, think of it like classic constructed is like your standard format, like at least a sixty card deck, um, and then that takes about fifty five minutes rounds right there, um, and then obviously I'm this is just base times by the way this is not like you know we all know how end of round can really extend the life <laughs> of a game of a round. But uh, Blitz is another format, which is a smaller deck size, about exactly 40. You may have up to two copies of a card, um, and those usually run 35 minutes. And the life totals are significantly lower. So the life total of a hero may be 40 in a classic constructed game, but the life total of that same hero in a Blitz game may be at 20 instead. Mm-hmm. Um the last thing I want to highlight as a difference in judging is actually uh, concessions. It's extremely different right now. My understanding is for concession, uh, for end of round in MTG, right? It's turn zero, and then you have five additional turns after that, right? Yes. And then uh, there are like some um, things with magic policy about concessions um, related to asking for a concession you can't ask for a concession you can't you can't offer you can't offer something uh for the concession you, yeah, you can so, ask you can ask for a concession hey you want you want to let me just win this that's fine and it's really funny because this last weekend was the pro tour or i'm sorry the world championship and something about this format led a lot of matches to go into time. And so a lot of feature matches were the awkward conversations at the end of the match of like, huh, all right, how are we going to decide this without me offering something or, or doing anything that's a big <laughs> no-no? Uh, so it's actually really funny you point that out. Yeah. Well, here's the difference in fat. Let's let's walk through it because it, this okay. is different. Uh, the current policy is turns you have at the end of the round when time is called it's turn zero active player uh the current turn player finishes their turn followed by one additional turn by their opponent okay so it's not five Mm -hmm. turns no like your eor is probably like significantly smaller at that point 
but in terms of concessions, right, you for fab, once the decks have been presented, you're, you're not able to ask for a concession. So I, once they make their like choices at the beginning for their deck, and then they present it to their opponent to get shuffled, at that point, can't ask for a concession. Does, does, um, this, does this result in an unnatural number of, well, not unnatural, it, it would be whatever's expected, but in a lot of draws? Yes, this this game does result in a lot of draws. It can result in a draw, hmm. um, and draws are school. Uh, are, are, the tiebreaker system is also very different. I would love to explain the tiebreaker system, but I'm really bad <laughs> at like tiebreaker <laughs> policy. So unfortunately, uh -huh. I'm gonna ask everyone to check that out on the website fabtcg. My tiebreaker policy is just cross your fingers and hope for the best because I'm not doing that amount of math. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not sure if the uh, software is doing that amount of math either, but that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, but the, I will say the, la the the unique thing about concessions is is that once time has been called, any player can concede. But if either player has made an action in the game, you're going to play that game out to its natural conclusion. So that's why it results into a draw, a lot of draws uh, potentially occurring. That's fascinating. Yep. Yeah, I'm having a... Okay, so... Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna this, do, so we're I all do, wrapping I, our head around that. Yeah, I do have. I do have one question, and I'm not gonna ask like what the well, what's the penalty if they do offer. But let's just say I get a call and I gotta. I gotta go. Like you know the 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 wife's giving birth or just something. You know something that I should actually be there at the hospital instead of instead of playing flesh and blood. But I've decided to go and do that, and then I get a call that the water just broke and I gotta go. Is that? I mean. But I'm middle of the game. Do I just lose that? Do I have to leave if I'm going to concede? Yeah, I or... mean, like, I, I, under those circumstances, like, I think every I, I, any reasonable head judge will be just like, oh, yeah, like, you'll probably, you're going to probably have to concede um, and then go. But there's no real, like, detriment to that ever okay. happening. Like, water breaking, I mean... I will say this, uh, James uh, uh, James White is very on the thing of, you know, and even the LSS rules and policy manager Joshua Scott always says, like, you got to protect your flesh and blood before you actually play flesh and blood. So, like, if you're having a monumental mm. occasion like that, um, it's very understandable. I also question, like, really, what are your priorities, you know, in terms of playing a game <laughs> or being in the hospital with your partner at that point? But, you know, that's either here or there people make choices and are allowed to make listen those spikes are going to grind for every yeah. match they can oh, gamers gonna game right yep yeah, no. <laughs> but uh yeah that those are the differences I, I, I that come to mind so you mentioned uh what were the the rules and policy manager that i think segues us nicely into kind of getting an idea of what the judge program for flesh and blood looks like because from everything I've heard so far, there's so many similarities to what Magic judges are familiar with. I'm really intrigued to find out what does the structure of the judge program look for flesh and blood? Or is it even called the judge program? Is it something else that we should be referring it to as like, how does that all look? Yeah, good question. So um, it is called the flesh and blood judge program. Um, and it's led by... Uh, 
really at the at the at its helm by uh the lss rules and policy manager joshua scott who also never judged magic but is fantastic in terms of really steering the ship in a, in the right direction and seeking out advice on how to uh kind of craft policy and craft the rules and whatnot uh so he started establishing the judge program or really establishing a rough skeleton of it back in 2021 when he was first onboarded lss really wanted to have judges at their road to nationals events at that time um and he came in at the right time and was uh fielding a lot of advice from um magic judges uh who were involved and who were uh doing these events and he really took the feedback and born out of that was an opportunity for to actually have a judge program really fully built out fully uh go beyond just a skeleton and really started to lay in some muscle into and really develop the contours of the different facets of the community. So that's when the, uh, to my knowledge, the LSS judge program manager position was um, created and is now sat in by Klaus Lossiger, uh, who is a uh, all of I, all of you may be familiar with him. He's one of y'all's judges from Austria. Yeah. So, He's um, a very capable guy. <laughs> this guy, I don't even know if he really lives in Austria. I think he's just a, a, a traveler of the world now. Um, this, <laughs> um, but I will say, uh, Klaus is, uh, has been in the position for about a year, roughly, maybe a little bit over a year. Um, and really has shaped the flesh and blood judge program uh, into a real organized uh, collection of people and resources that kind of are representative and inhabit the judge community. And in doing so really allows a couple things. Uh, it really allows individuals to be part of their flesh and blood communities in a different way, just beyond the player relationship. The program seeks to provide judges and with tools and knowledge at excelling this role. Like, take me for example. I did not judge magic at all, right? But the program has provided me great opportunities to find mentors, to find uh, the right policy documents, the right rules documents to really kind of help me succeed at being a champion of my community in terms of uh, really being that go-to person for people who have questions that may not be comfortable at speaking on discord and you know you've really developed a rapport in your community to be a trusted individual so they come to you instead and it it goes without saying those portable skills that we were talking about before um of, about event management it's more accessible in an organized community and in an organized fashion with a judge program because then people are able to sh knowledge share um, in a more in a more structured way because you know they're now able to share tips uh, the the ways of thinking that they go through um in you know from event from managing an event for a small st store and how you scale that up to larger events and 
the uh, the most important thing in my opinion it really fosters community by giving people the opportunity to volunteer for various community groups or projects um, that really are shaping select different aspects of the judge program itself and uh, i think that that's a, a tremendous impact because um any good program just in general needs organization and where josh and uh, josh and klaus have really taken the program from just a very small thing and have grown it out to have a different areas in which people can evolve in a what two-year time span that's amazing in my opinion um yeah, sounds sounds great i was gonna i was actually gonna talk a little bit more about like that those community groups because really um you you have mentioned time and time again throughout this episode uh where really some of the magic judges that you all know very fondly really have made the the transition to be able to judge both games and i think part of that is that they have from day one in their involvement probably have felt the same way that i have felt that you're being here right LSS really takes the ability for you, uh, any feedback that you provide, whether it be a player, a content creator, or even a judge, real seriously. And to be able to have uh, people at the at the top that work for the program um, and to really have the backing of um, kind of through and through with experienced folks in the LSS side as well and that believe in a judge program to have that is really worth every penny that's invested into the program in my opinion and I think what you see is um, for the community groups and the project teams that exist in the community each of those work on some facet very closely with either the judge program manager or the rules and policy manager. It's almost like you collaborate with them and they're able to take that feedback that you're giving and kind of really let your voice be heard about it. Um, if you, I'm going to speak about the community groups, right? Because I think my understanding about community groups in the magic judge program is that you all used to have regional coordinators which was mm -hmm. an individual uh that was in charge or leading a geographical region of the of the earth um and helping to kind of facilitate uh judges needs within their region is that a kind of a, a very yes no that's accurate an accurate description yeah yep. so the for the flesh and blood judge program there is something very similar as well um uh, created for it so it's the judge community group so we have judges who represent very small segments geographic segments of the world uh and those are doing the exact same what I just described about your uh, your RCs, right? So um, they're the ones like if you're looking to find a mentor, you you can speak to JCR. If a if a local store is having trouble finding a judge, they can speak to JCR uh, and might be able to point you in the right direction. Uh, need to find a judge at the last minute? They can help <laughs> you. If a judge is really having problems with stores in their 
area or maybe having a problem with one particular store, uh, they can reach out to a JCR to kind of a judge community representative. I'm sorry, I should have uh, said what that what that means. But they can reach out to a JCR and get advice about it, and they might be able to help you with that need. So, my to my knowledge, the number of RCs that existed were somewhere in maybe low the 20s. low twenties, right? Low twenties. Uh, okay, yeah. So very much similar in terms of our JCRs. Uh, it's maybe in the low 20s, maybe 30s at this point. Um, I will say I'm not a JCR, so I don't know the entire structure very well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, this is kind of like the base knowledge I have about it. But above the JCRs, we have the JCR leads, the so judge community representative leads that um, for um, there's currently six of them in the program that oversee uh, groups of the geo region. So like, let's say Europe, I don't know how many geo regions it's split to into currently, but let's say there are seven or eight geo regions inside of Europe. We have two that are at the top kind of overseeing um, those matters. So it's like a, another level of escalation that can help um, kind of assist in matters if need be. Um, so that's kind of the judge community groups. And then on the other side of things for those um, segment areas where you want to, people are maybe interest, more interested about the judge program from everything from maybe rules to like policy or advanced certifications, there are project teams for those as well. And a lot of, um, uh, really, it's characterized by subject matter areas or interest areas for you, right? If you really want to get involved inside of the rules team, you really love the mechanics, you really want to have a say in it, you really want to kind of work with uh, uh, Joshua Scott, uh, then you would join the rules team and kind of be able to review documentation a little bit earlier, um, even during spoiler season, to help make an impact on your not only the judge community, but also the player base as well. That goes the same for policy, right? Um, and a lot of people really weigh in on policy because policy is not as, we all know this, policy sometimes has those questions where they're difficult to navigate, right? And sometimes policy oh, yeah. isn't, policy mm -hmm. is never clear. And this is this is not fab, really, uh, just fab, uh specific right you've experienced it in mtg we all know that when uh when other tcgs first come out you know their 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 policies might be in a in a in a, in a shape that could use a lot of refinement right and so the policy team for example is really a, a, an example of how they can they work with uh, the rules and policy manager joshua scott on kind of in a, in a more a collaborative sense and advising them of potential policy changes or maybe doing policy analysis and and some people like that a lot um so there are those teams there are teams for conferences like to set up conferences like to kind of staff them uh you have content and information like we there's a blog for the uh judge um for the judge program that those folks manage that in a Twitter account, I think, as well. 
or X, formerly known as Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the tech team that really uh, kind of manages and um, the technology around uh, the uh, purveying the uh, judge program. Like, and the tech a... team is done by is led by who? Dan Collins. So he is the same person that did a lot of work on our judge apps, the system, the the judge program website that works still. <laughs> Just I, I, saying. <laughs> I will say, like there, like there are a lot of familiar names that you find, and um, within the uh, current team leads overseeing some of these project teams. Like so, I mentioned mm -hmm. Dan Collins for the tech team, policy team. Uh, you have Emilian Wild from Belgium. Um, mm -hmm. The advanced certification teams headed by Ward Warren. The Judge Conduct Committee, for example, is headed by Alfonso Breno from Spain. You have Amanda Coots, who uh, heads the Player Conduct Committee. I'm sorry. Actually, I think I have it switched, right? I think Ama Amanda Coots runs the Judge Conduct Committee. Alfonso Breno runs the Player Conduct Committee. I'm, I apologize. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to see judges involved in the Player Conduct Committee. Because that is something that we used to be involved in, we being judges uh, for Magic, and we uh, were basically shut out of that in 2019, mm. where, where Wizards took that in-house, and we no longer have any visibility as to what's going on in there. Got it. Um, well, I mean, I I myself don't know too much about what those conduct sure. committees do. We, sure. We, um, <laughs> I mean, they... I. We we all know what the essence is, right? Of what of what they're charged with, but in terms of the their dealings, I just don't know. Like they, yeah. but I'm without a doubt know that they're trying to make sure that our members or players within the community are staying above board, right? They right. are, um, you know, it's an essential function of a judge program to yeah. have those in yeah. my opinion. And, and realistically, I I would say like having judges on a player player uh, conduct committee like who who is better to determine whether or not a particular behavior is you know opportunistic cheating or is something you know practiced or something along those lines than people that actually work events as opposed to two dudes in a watsy office somewhere that haven't ever worked an event I won't opine on that, uh, on just, that because I just don't know. Uh, sure, sure. I'll take your word for I'm it. Just, I'm just saying. So, so, so let me ask another question I'm not about saying, this. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm it, not saying. I'm just. Let me ask another question about this before we leave it entirely and move into the into another another topic. Sure. Are these are these positions paid or are these um, judges volunteering? What's the what's the story here? How does that work? Sure. So it, the judge program is completely a volunteer program. Um, so all of these folks um, have really volunteered their time to trying to make the program as best as it can be. Cool. Um, I, I think the I think for I won't speak. I can't speak for any of the other project leads that exist here. But I will say, if we didn't believe and if our, we thought our voices weren't being heard, we wouldn't be around. I think every person that's on 
a team lead here or even being a JCR or a member of those teams, right? Believe in, in the program itself and really believe that they have a voice and are really being heard in my opinion um, in terms and really can see an impact that their efforts are having on the program itself. So I do want to ask a question since since the then since yeah since the question of these paid positions was brought up yes and I think we would be remiss if we did not mention this I know that at SCG Con events LSS provides promo cards to judges who work the event as a thank you that's correct so we will. Occasional, so working events, uh, obviously, let's take like a, a nationals weekend, for example, right? You may be on staff or uh, you may be contracted by your TO to work one, two, three days in some sort of position from, you know, scorekeeper to floor judge to side events lead to appeals judge to uh, head judge, right? You're, you're contracted to work that. But in addition to that, and it's not a form of compensation at all, it, LSS really wants to make sure that their um, judges know that they're, they're valued. So they do provide gifts to their judges um, who judge those long weekend events. Those gifts may, may include the same kind of promos and mats that, um, and uh, you know, the, the players at an invite-only event may receive. Uh, they there are also judge-exclusive gifts like uh, judge promos, uh, which are, um, I guess, uh, they're of the cold foil nature. I guess the equivalent in Magic would be like an etched foil or something. It looks like very metallically, like those yeah. type of things, and judge-exclusive mats as well. We, uh, you know, some in some events we may receive a product like. Uh, a case of product um or um i think that's um that's really dependent did, did, on what it is uh, i'm like, sorry I, i'm sorry I'm, I'm sorry i i must have misheard you said a case yeah um so i there i think sometimes <laughs> it's crafted as part of compensation these days or brian sometimes... brian how do you how do you feel about Fabcast is is that is that a thing we can do? <laughs> Fabcast? Or are we, are we just are we, are we just gonna? I guess we need to talk to Klaus. <laughs> judges are judges are judges. Yeah, but I will say, like, uh, you know, the product question is maybe built in into your compensation for the weekend and may not necessarily be a gift, but at some points, some there were some events that product was definitely. Uh, like cases were definitely uh, a gift. Okay. Wow. Uh, that's but... a, that's amazing. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So yep. So how do we how do we get to the point where we actually get to do that? You know what what's the sure. process to become a judge? Um, is is there something similar to Judge Academy for the Fab side? Uh, because I know I know at one point in time I'm actually I'm reasonably sure of this Judge Academy was talking to uh, LSS about uh running the judge program or helping to run the judge program but it sounds like they wanted to remain independent so so how does this all work sure good question so uh first step go to judge.fabtcg.com it is what we call our judge hub 
Um, it is really the platform for uh, judges to be able to uh, kind of manage their profile, their event history, to be able to take exams, to really come as a first step to, into the judge program. From there, um, once you make an account on judge.fabtcg.com on the Judge Hub, uh, you'll be able to test and take your certification exam. So currently there are, are three levels of judges. There is the level zero, level one, and level two. Level zero, this I guess this is similar to the magic rules advisor. Like you know mm -hmm. like general concepts about the game, you know general concepts about policy. There's a, about 20 questions for each rules and policy that you have to answer. It's multiple choice test. You can take it as many times as you want in order to, to pass. That's that's really what the level zero is. Level one is really where you, um, those really wanting to be part of the program really come in at, right? So um, the level one exam, it's also a 20 question, multiple choice test on rules. There's also 20 questions on policy. And in order to get your level one certification, you must uh, pass each test with an 85% uh, success rate. And should you be unsuccessful, there's a 90 day cooldown on that. Um, and it goes without saying your participation in the judge program is that it's expected of you that you must be in good standing. So, um, so that's two tests, 85% on each test. So you can't, it's not one test where you can like spike rules and just do terrible at policy and still pass. You got to be eighty-five percent on both aspects. That's correct. So we're nice. we're we're having an okay. emphasis on kind of a good balance of judges, right? We want our judges to be balanced in both rules and in policy, and you know, in a way, um, this gives them this gives an opportunity to demonstrate it as well through this method. Level two is our highest level um and at this point in time um you must be a level one judge for at least 120 days so once you pass your level one test you can't go straight into l your l2 exam no you you have to be uh you know you have to do a couple of things one of which is do your time as a as a level one uh, for at least 120 days um you also there you also need to take another round of tests um another 20 questions on rules another 20 question on policy you still got to pass it pass both uh separately with an 85 percent uh success rate um and then there's two more requirements just to make sure that you are um uh, that you can ascend to l2 one of which is that you need to have judged at least a tier two uh, higher event, two of those, uh, within the last year. And then the other one is that you need a recommendation from an existing L2 judge. So let's say you uh, work one of these Grand Prix type calling weekends um, and you have a team lead that's an L2. Well, you know, you can kind of seek their mentorship, um, seek a recommendation from them, uh, and also get some experience in your belt to meet that uh, judging tournament requirement. So, so, what you, so what you do is is you work the whole weekend under the person, and, and on Sunday night as you're walking out the door, you say, hey, can I have a letter of recommendation? Right? 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 That's how we do it? No. Mm. 
no, no. I, I can bet you. <laughs> that was you, a deep grumble. I can bet you <laughs> that in Fab, it's the same way it's in Magic. You should talk to the person even before the event, if you can. And if not, talk to them when you get there and talk to them about what your goals are and what you're looking to do and ask them if they have the time and the ability to spend helping you with this. Absolutely. 100% agree. I haven't heard any more truer words than that uh, lately. No. <laughs> Phenomenal. So, no. Awesome. Um, I will say that, um, so those are the three levels of judges. However, um, the advanced certification team, um, led by Ward, and uh, there's some other very experienced uh, magic judges um, on that team kind of helping to advise and work on it. Um, they the recently actually i think it was the last night um the team lead certification has also now been revealed as something that um level two judges can work towards and that has its uh has many requirements uh associated to it all of them reasonable requirements but there there's a lot to kind of unpack in that that i think would take a uh, more time than what we have in this episode to discuss but um I, I will say that 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 is an example one of really where the judge program has uh, enabled uh, and given agency to uh, judges really to help craft what the next level is and opine on what the next level is, um, what people can work towards to. But number two, it's really uh, in it's not it's not going to end with just the. Uh, the team lead certification. There are other certifications that are being looked at that um, are in the pipeline and kind of being ideated on. So it demonstrates um, kind of a growth path for really investing your time into the program. I will offer up one suggestion for the advanced certification, like looking looking at some of the people that you have uh, listed and said that are are involved. Um, just a thing to be aware of they were all very big on process to show that there was no bias or favoritism or anything like that and they imposed a lot of process mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like so much that things didn't get done because it was just so much process and reviews and stuff like that my my personal and, and this was on the this was on the magic side mm -hmm. okay and it you know it's kind of hard to when you're asking for volunteers to do stuff it's kind of hard to start adding levels of bureaucracy because it, it stops being fun like a lot of people volunteer for the things that they find fun and very few people find uh, creating bureaucratic processes enjoyable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just just watch for that and make sure that that doesn't just that doesn't start choking out um, uh, the ability to make decisions, like or hope the, for that matter, or hope. Yeah, that was once the term meat grinder comes up. That's when you might have to start reevaluating decisions. I think. Wow i I never thought of meat grinder in such of a. In, in that way, <laughs> I thought a meat grinder as like, you know, a, what a butcher has and it's kind of 
is one, that kind one of like of, the analogy that you all try to go for? No, like, I. One of the things that I one of the things that I tried to do because um, I, I used to be a program coordinator for the Magic Judge uh, program um, was I tried to figure out a way to measure. We had all these policies and processes and stuff like that to eliminate to to fairly and objectively uh, uh, measure people for advanced certifications and roles and figure out these kind of things. And I was always curious if they actually changed anyone's opinion. Like if they actually resulted in something. So I always kind of wanted to do some sort of like, hey, let's just write down for these advanced certifications, write down what your gut is, then we'll go through the process. And then at the very end, we'll compare. And presumably if the process is actually doing its job, Maybe we you get some different results, but if the process is just yielding the same result as what our guts are, then that either means the process is flawed, or we don't need it, you know. And uh, I I did get pushback because people were like, but then just writing it down uh, solidifies what you wrote down in your mind and makes it more likely that you just it's just like come on, like we got to be able to measure this thing. If we're spending all this time doing all this process work, we gotta know, we gotta figure out if it's worth it. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think that uh, coming from someone who uh, works in processes and establishing them and requirements in my day to day job, I, I will say that um, I totally get where you're understanding where you're going from. It's a balance, right? One, the, the scales are. Uh, make it accessible, right? On one end, mm-hmm. uh, and then the other one is you have to make it de- demonstra- demonstrable, right? You have to have some element of them being able to demonstrate skills that yeah. we're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. and that's the that's the balance. And I I and I do think um, because the program right now uh, is really. It, has really set a foundation and when i say the program the judge uh, the fab judge program has really set a foundation to kind of listen to that feedback uh from the certification team that has a, a, a people not only just magic former magic judges right um and experienced ones at that but people who have never been part of the uh, fab judge program but are tos in their own right are people like uh, that have, sorry, have never been in a Magic Judge program. People who have never been in a Magic Judge program, but have a vested interest in their, like, okay, well, what's the next step? What's the growth path here? And really, those people um, are really thinking and asking those those type of right questions that you were alluding to. Okay. And, you know, everything... At the end of the day, right, it's a negotiation, right? Where Where's the push and pull? Where's the ebb and flow about these things? But I I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, people, you know, people are doing it for the right reasons and in the right way and trying to balance uh, the skills. I'm just, I'm just saying like, look at, looking at, looking at this, just don't, don't go down the route of creating big, complicated processes for everything and committees for everything, because what'll happen, you will end up because there's only a select group of people that want to be involved in that kind of thing mm-hmm. and you will burn them and you will burn them out. Right. Oh. Because there, there is that the people that are interested in that are a relatively small group of people compared to the general population of judges. Oh, well, yep. Yeah. Totally yeah. get it. Okay. No, that's great. All advice. right. Um, but so if you want 
uh, in terms of beyond just the certifications. In, I think you had a question. Uh, you had an, uh, a story that uh, Judge Academy had come to uh, LSS and asked, uh, you know, about potential having the judge program with the Judge Academy. Um, I'm not typically aware of um, kind of that conversation. But what I do know from what I can see on the Judge Academy website, you know, you all have the same thing. You have like certifications, training, uh, you have training modules. Yeah, I, um, I think it's broadly known that the Judge Academy is interested in being a part of other certifying bodies. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know all of them, but I, be, uh, I believe that early on with Fab, I think that there was at least some discussion about it. And, and I guess Fab went their own way, which is fine. Yeah, and I think the desire right now is um, it's completely in-house with LSS right now. It's um, making sure, you know, and the great thing um, that I will say is that um, top to bottom for LSS, they really do um, appreciate the judge program. They're, they're really kind of supporting it on it. Um, there is, I have no question about kind of like their... Um, their level of support when it comes to their judges. They really value them and uh, it, it, they make you feel that way. At least for me, I won't speak for others, but uh, you know, I think that's the general consensus. Um, but the FAB judge program, um, you know, Judge Hub has the similar thing. You can provide feedback privately to, from judges to judges. Uh, you can document your judge history. You can solicit for staff for your event. So you're, if you're looking to maybe get out and judge at Calling Taiwan or, uh, you know, Calling Melbourne, for example, like you would see those applications up in there. Um, I do think what Judge Academy does have that, um, which is a direction that uh, the judge program may uh, go is having more content online content available i don't know if they would necessarily have training modules like you all do but in terms of just um broadening out the uh online content the available resources is definitely something uh that uh, the judge program for fab uh, can potentially take advantage of um in the future but um, FAB, the FAB Judge Program also has no membership dues at all. Um, huh. Yeah, so it's nothing. <laughs> it's it's um, inexpensive um, to uh, really uh, your time and your effort and energy uh, into the Judge Program is um, the, the price you pay as opposed to monetary dollars. So if you really want to get involved, the listeners out there, check it out, judge.fabtcg.com. Um, and uh, you, you can kind of like select uh, the help tab at the top and it will give you topics and guides on kind of navigating the website and also what you need to do to exactly advance your uh, judge level should you want to take that test. All right. So let's say I'm one of the JudgeCast faithful listeners and I've been listening to everything that you've described for the last, you know, uh, 60, 80 minutes. And I go, this sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what should I, what should I do to start exploring fab? Uh, uh, 
making making you know i've i've decided you know to not necessarily jump ship but i've decided to you know dip my toe around dip dip my toe in the water yeah dip my toe in the water absolutely what's what should i what should i do there so i i'm just gonna kind of drive drop some of my life and my kind of approach to business philosophy here but i'm always of the thing that uh if you're interested in something um kind of approach that new venture with an open mind um you know play a couple games do your research online um and really find reasons uh why to like the game or to like the program as opposed to finding focusing on finding the reasons to dislike the game or dislike uh the program right um really try it out for yourself play a game like i said play a few of them actually research online check out the art beautiful art uh see if there's a community near you go into one of their game nights kind of ask some questions about kind of what they uh how they are and what they what the sense of um the game is like and really in a in a way doing the doing all this is just with any venture you're treating it you're making an evaluation of whether or not it's an investment of your time and energy because ultimately we all have lives we have other things going on right and you got these are things that you got to worry about worry about right um opportunity costs are real so and if you do decide after your research that um you, you really do like it find some other things that really appeal to you and run with it for me um you know i'm i'm not the strongest fab pit player let's let's be honest i'm not very good at what i do i love um <laughs> uh you know it, when i occasionally win oh it's sweet but really what really kind of hooked me in was really the game rules and the community again with the game rules um the people like josh even uh you know my dealings with him on the internet really kind of helped shape my um my perception of the program having people like dan and amanda joe kavanaugh with ward especially has been instrumental for me and i don't even judge magic but i'm all you know i'm always supportive of all of their endeavors and they really helped uh and i built friendships with them um that just go beyond the um the flesh and blood game itself. So for me, having that opportunity to see them at events is really the highlight and what I really like going back to. So like that appeals to me and I ran with it. So if that appeals to you, go with it. If I, for me, if I see, if it's an opportunity to see Billy Willie, uh, we love talking about soccer all the time. Uh, I'm sorry, football, because it's, that's the real name of it. Um, and, you know, that interaction is just priceless being able to get to have my flight paid for because I'm contracted to work. So I'm just subsidizing it and then see my friends and hang out with them after work hard, play hard. So um, there's a ton the my next piece of advice. There's a ton of well-seasoned MPG judges all across the world um who are now doing both mtg and fab and who are fantastic uh, mentors and members of the community so really find those people out seek their brain 
you know, pick their brains, seek out their knowledge, ask them about their community, get their take on policy, game rules, what the transition was like for them, and really figure out those questions that matter most to you to help you make a decision. Is there is there a website to find stores that might be running uh, Flesh and Blood events? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to fabtcg.com, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there on one of their um, uh, tabs at the top, there's a tab called events, and then there's uh, underneath that menu, there's organized play and events locator. Go to the events locator, uh, type in your zip code, see, and that's the the way that you'll find stores or future events in your area. Well, I'm ready to well, sign up. I know up. where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. Uh, As we all furiously look for the next yeah. lab event to start yeah. digging in a little deeper. Yeah, look at that. Okay, so looks like versus the hay- just near me, I've got within the next I don't know uh, two weeks there are four events within fifteen miles of me at some LGSs. I, I will say, I'd, yeah, I will say that there is also um, one of the things that you can also look for is. If you have, if you're at an SCG con, working at SCG con, or there's a big like event and weekend in your in near you or within a reasonable distance, go to it, right? Like, you know, see what like the hype is all about. See, get get a sense for the community, get a sense for the cosplayers that kind of and the content creators that are, will appear there because we have those two, right? And really, um, all of those got cosplayers. Yeah, I think, uh, for example, um, who is that famous commander player? Um, Olivia, I think her name is. Um, oh, yeah. Olivia Gobert-Hicks? Yes, her. Thank you. She is awesome. I remember her being at the World Championship, cosplaying as one of the heroes uh, for uh, Flesh and Blood, and uh, and just an overall stellar person. Um, in my opinion, and um, really, you know, that's an example. There are cosplay competitions in some of these event weekends. That's awesome to see. I think one of the cosplay competitions at, I want to see the Calling Antwerp, maybe? I don't know. Uh, but a, a judge won it with their, uh, they they were not judging for their day. They decided to do the cosplay com- competition and took it took them like a very priceless card. And you know things like that. Those are things that are just like you can get a you can get a community around, and it's just one of the many special things about the community that is just so great to see. Brilliant! That's awesome. This is really awesome to hear. Just how much similarity and dissimilarity there is between Magic and Fab. I mean. So much of the good things that I think brought all of us into the game really seem to be vivid there. And I mean, that's what you hope for in any kind of community that you want to start exploring, right? Is finding that similar, whether you want to call it the gathering or whether you want to call it the flesh and blood being put into the game. I love that kind of the unified mentality there. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, you know, it's why uh, we keep on getting involved, right? It's because... There's that thing about that community that is always going to be real, real special. That makes you come back for um, time and time again. Yeah. So, Nick, is there, uh, I mean, you just spent, you know, an hour and a half or so plugging 
um, flesh and blood. But is there anything that you'd like to <laughs> to plug in addition to uh, uh, the flesh and blood community in general, or or? Uh... Um, no, I think uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to, to all three of you really for giving me the opportunity to speak about at length, really about flesh and blood and the judge program. Um, you know, I, I will say that um, with every, like, it may be scary, right? Like, for those people listening out there, it may be scary to venture into something new, or maybe you can't swing it because of reasons, or there's a lot of reasons to not try something. In my opinion, I'm always like, try it. Like, the worst that will ever happen is that you won't go back to it again because you didn't like it. And if you can find yourself being here, um, and really, you can do both. You can judge magic, you can judge flesh and blood, you can judge Pokemon if you do that too. You can do all of these are great reasons. Um, you know, these are all great communities, and the flesh and blood is a great and unique community of its own. And uh, I can urge you all to kind of consider that because. You know, maybe you'll find something about the game that just really enchants you and brings you uh, more involved and better skills or sharpens your skill, already existing skills. Um, and maybe makes your day to day a little bit better. So, and to a point that you, to a point that you brought up, uh, there are a lot of magic judges that the dream is doing events every weekend. And realistically, there are not enough magic events in the US and, you know, you know, let alone other regions. But there aren't really enough events in the US where you can do a large event every weekend. So Taking those skills that you already have and applying it to Flesh and Blood, applying it to Pokemon, applying it to Lorcana when that gets spun up is a way to sustain yourself doing something that you enjoy doing. For sure. Diversification. What's yeah. that? Diversification. Okay. Yes. But you yeah, said something think... about a vacation, and I was like, <laughs> "Yes, yes." <laughs> no, I, mean, and I think you. I think hey, you bring do up what a great you love. You never work a day in your life. Yeah, it's true. It, that's very true. But I think you bring up a good point, right? Because I think Magic at one point had the the thing where it's uh, what is it? Judge the game, see, see the, world. the world. Yeah, yep. right. That, is, and that I, hasn't been true in a decade. <laughs> um, but I, well, but that may not be true. For you all in a decade, but for someone like me who's just very fresh, like yeah. I've gotten uh, to see places in the United States I would never ever think of going. Uh, I am, you know, making myself over to Barcelona, which I've never seen before, uh, and it, you know the prospect is exciting, right? And yeah. if I can do a hobby, get paid for some work that I'm doing. And have that uh, that money that I'll be earning kind of help subsidize my trip so that I can enjoy and see the world with my friends. Yeah, yeah why not, right? If uh, you know, um, for me, like if I if I had more time, maybe I would consider judging for magic, right? Um, I think, yeah. and, and that's the balance, right? That's the decision that we all have to make. It's yeah. just like, is it um, can we afford the time? If you can, 
definitely check it out. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been really good hearing the enthusiasm for which you talk about the topic. Like it's, it's your love of judging and love of the game really, really came through in this conversation. Appreciate that. And, you know, I, I always look, um, forward to, you know, I will always look forward to having discussions and I'm, I'm, my door is always open. Like it's, you gotta love what you do. And I love what I do. And I love supporting the things that, um, really, bring a lot of great things into my life and great friendships and so why not continue with it very cool very cool uh anybody else have anything for the good of the order no not much no. more than a huge no. thank you yeah to yeah Nick for absolutely man this was a great talk yeah, thanks for having me on i look forward to uh hearing uh great ventures and maybe hopefully seeing you all at some flesh and blood <laughs> events in the near future then Hey, just a quick question. Yeah. How often are your policy docs updated? Uh, <laughs> that's a good that's a good question. So um, I'm going to group this with our policy and our rules documentation. So our polls, policy documentation and rules documentation have been on a kind of set cycle. So it will release somewhere around the same time as a set or well before a major event or a world championship weekend. So that is generally kind of the cadence. So I want to say maybe roughly every four months. I'm seeing, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the website. I'm seeing three times a year for the last several years. And then this year there's been two updates. Yeah, and then we're going into our next set. So if anyone's listening here, I don't know when it's publishing, but uh, we're going into our newest set called Bright Lights and uh, next weekend. Their pre-release is this weekend on the uh, in October, I guess, the very first weekend of October, uh, end of September. But um, yeah, our documentation is looking to get updated in. So right now, for example, my rules team is uh, working on reviewing uh, the new comprehensive rules updates and uh, also looking at reviewing the release notes for a set. So my the team members are having a first kind of early peek at that and be able to kind of um, make their opinions be heard. The policy team is doing the exact same team um, because as we all know with new sets come new interesting questions but also um, it gives them an opportunity to kind of evaluate the season before and kind of integrate uh, uh, suggestions and updates uh, that uh, we've seen from the last uh, big season which was our nationals season and I believe I think I made a misquote I now that I'm thinking about it for nationals um, I was just looking at the our tournament documentation and the, our nationals all nationals across the world are at the professional level there are tier three but they're one mm. of the only ones that are at the professional rules enforcement level in addition to that Grand Prix day two calling day two analogy that we talked about earlier that's my fault. My bad, everyone. No, no, no. <laughs> we can't. We can't know everything. That's why we have you know documentation that helps us. Yeah, yeah. yeah for and sure. I assume if if Fab is anything like Magic, pre-release weekends sound like a great opportunity to jump into experience a community and pick up a new game. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Not not gonna lie. It's 
Hey, this one's super cool. Uh, I'm not sure if you all are like cyberpunk uh, fans, right? But like, there's a class called the Mechanologist, and that's like cyberpunk themed, and that's where Fab is. That's the newest set. All right, all right. I, I just ha I just have one last one last question. I, I've got to ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have goblins anywhere? Oh, do we have goblins? Uh, no, unfortunately not. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. Ooh, wait, 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 but that was, but, that was but, but but if I told you we had, uh, I guess, uh, okay, okay, I'm gonna date myself. I actually I played Magic uh, through Mirrodin Block before I sold my collection and left for Japan. Um, so I'm very familiar with like pile driver and sharpshooters and that whole array of red deck goblin shenanigans back in there. There is a red deck wins that like there's an analogy to that in in this game. So if you like red deck wins RDW, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I need you I need to I need you to whisper to the creators, you know, just 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 plant the seed. It's really important. Do you like dragons and angels? Um, dragons, uh, angels, or demons? I mean, I mean, Do they they're, they're, they're okay, but nothing quite <laughs> fills my heart like like a good goblin tribal. Um, oh, wait. A very particular brand. But yeah. there are goblin... There are goblin... There are pictures of goblins on cards. I will say that. So is it a playable character right now? No. But are, could it be in the future? <laughs> potentially okay you reeled me back in all right so okay gotcha. um <laughs> with with that burning question answered um that's that's our episode uh join us next time when we may talk about a super secret thing that i don't even know about yet uh, mostly because we haven't figured it out but we will figure it out i promise uh until then you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on facebook or follow us on twitter at judgecast and on Blue Sky at judgecast.bsky.social. I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Marco Sanchez, and I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep exploring all the content on this judge blog website that you've got. Wow. Wow.